0: I came into the office on Thursday morning and found a piece of mail on my desk that was postmarked October the 5th, and it was a solicitation inviting me to come on a Holy Land tour in the spring of 2024. As I say, postmarked October the 5th, and by the time it landed on my desk, the trip is presumably off. Off? Because of the very thing we've been spending our time talking about over these last several weeks. Because of how difficult it is to build and to sustain a place of belonging. And of how fragile they are when we do manage to build them. And we pray, of course, for the Middle East most especially in this most recent outbreak of violence, for all the loss of life, for all the intractable challenges to peace, for the injustices and the displacement, and for this generational challenge to successfully build there a place, or places, where people can simply be and belong and live in peace. Friends, there is an important and very timely wisdom to be gained, I believe, by tending closely to this often overlooked part of our scriptures that I hope will not pass us by. Now, as much as any time in our history, in the history of our world, these issues of belonging are playing out with an urgency and an intensity that make them impossible to just push aside. And yet also and yet also with a, with a tragic predictability about them, that all too often mirrors that, that sort of story that we've been tracking together. It is, as we have seen together, a story that began in absolute tragedy and hopelessness. The homeland ransacked and destroyed. Many or most of its people killed or deported to a far-off land to be held as slaves. Their most holy place in the world. The place that held so much of their culture and so many of their traditions looted and flattened. And then, oh and then, as we saw as we began this series, an unimaginable grace An almost unbelievable opportunity comes out of the blue, almost as if from nowhere, Cyrus and the Persians defeated the Babylonians and they wanted to send this entire people home, help them start afresh. They want to build back their temple for them again and resettle them back in their places where they came from again. What an incredible, what an unimaginable grace and opportunity this was. And they did return in waves over the course of time. First with Zerubbabel and Zechariah and Haggai, who we all heard from. They returned to get started on the building back of their temple, bought and paid for, if you remember. Remember? But then delays and heartache interfere. And then conflict and obstruction begin with those neighbors that felt threatened by their reestablishment. But through all, through all of that they persevere. And then it's Ezra and it's Nehemiah who return. Nehemiah to build that wall around Jerusalem and further shore up its safety. Ezra as we read today, to call this people back to a more intentional unity. Back to covenant, back to identity, and a, and a plan for a way of life, and, well, more, too. In today's scriptures, two things are happening. First of all, Ezra the scribe and the priest recently returned home himself from the latest wave of exile, gathers together a people for a covenant renewal ceremony of sorts. You can imagine this throng of people there, perhaps, crowded together to be within earshot of the law of Moses being read before them all. It is a holy day for them in Ezra chapter 8, or Nehemiah chapter 8. It's a holy occasion. They're being reminded of who they are, and more importantly, who they are together. They're being reminded in the reading and interpretation of the law of Moses, what faithfulness and what justice is going to look like on the ground as they move forward into this new life together. This is a pivotal moment. It is their great national moment, their great pact to re-enter life together in their reestablished homeland and to do things right this time, hopefully. And the law of Moses, you may know, at this time was not just their religious law, it was their national constitution as well, so to speak. And here they are, fully and finally being reestablished and rechartered for a new, more intentional way of life. But then a second thing happens that should give us pause. The people of the Restoration have now succeeded in their most... Major plans. They've built their temple, they've built their wall, they've reestablished their covenant, built for all intents and purposes their place of belonging, and then they send the foreigners out. And not just send them out, they forced those members of their people who had married foreign wives to divorce them and send them out into the streets along with their children. There is Physical intimidation, as we heard, to keep them from giving away their children in such marriages. A new and intense effort toward ethnic and cultural purity set in at every level of their life, from the priesthood on down, as we heard in our reading this morning. And why? Why? Because they were afraid, perhaps, after what they had experienced up to this point? Why? Why? Because, as it mentions there in chapter 13, they found some ancient law, some ancient justification going all the way back to to the Moabites who did them wrong in the Exodus. Why? Because this is so often the trap that we humans fall into when we try to build our places to belong. We work hard to get to the point where things are just as we hope they will be. And then we try to preserve those spaces at all costs. And strangely enough, when that happens, as it did in the case of the covenant people at this time in their history, it reveals to us a lesson that's important to see and to learn from, I believe. It shows us that there are risks And that there are dangers built in to projects of belonging as well. That so often successfully carving out our own places of belonging comes with an ugly side. Of those abandoned, shut out, of those put into the streets. That's what happened here. And how many times has that pattern repeated itself? We should be able to see it coming down the road a mile away by now, shouldn't we? Our big ideas of creating really sound, really strong, well-protected in-groups almost always result in really wounded, really hurt out-groups as well, don't they? And the out-groups then take their revenge on the in-groups, and on and on the cycle continues, generation after generation, after generation. It just doesn't work, friends. There's no solution to this project taken up in this way that, that truly lasts or is satisfying to build in this way. But I want to reflect with you for a moment on this picture I found this week. that's up on the screen right now. It's by an an artist named Melanie Pike, who I had the pleasure of speaking to this week. She gave me permission to use her her picture, and it really caught my attention. It caught my attention because as you can see there in that picture, this is a picture of a multicolored throng of people gathered in the city. At first, when I saw it, I thought of Nehemiah, because because of the way that that light there in the front shines through and pours through that narrow passageway, and, and I imagined at first that it was like a wall, kind of like the wall that Nehemiah built. But then again, maybe it's, maybe it's a city with buildings like a modern city, so much more diverse than, than any city Nehemiah would have known. And of course, there's, there's a cross being formed by that inflow of light, isn't there? And it looks to me as though... That light has captured that crowd's attention. Sure, shadows remain on the sidelines, but, but that light, that light, that's, that's what's singular. That's what's calling out for their attention. And as I look at it a bit longer, it seems to me that there's, there's a community there amid all that diversity, at least for this moment, so long as they're looking together at the light in this picture. And whatever community, whatever commonality they may have together, it's not of their own making, is it? This is not their design. This is not their carefully crafted, carefully executed project. For this moment, it's what happened when they all faced and shared the light. And I think, church, of all that Jesus said and did when he addressed his own people on their city crafting projects of how... He just showed them who was part of them by healing and speaking to and dining with foreign people in foreign towns. How he continually asked them to, to think bigger of the kingdom of God and to think bigger about whose city and whose place of belonging that they're participating in. How he asked them to imagine how it could be a good Samaritan rather than a priest or a Levite that could perform the more grace-filled deed. Or to imagine that the tree of God's kingdom could include birds and animals of different sizes and shapes and colors. I believe the title of this piece is called The City of God. The City of God, and I wonder if its call isn't just to stand in the light together. To face it together. And to be united in the one who has truly built the city. Truly offers a place of belonging. Church, I think this series has told a story that we need to hear. In many ways, it's our own story. Our own history. Full of our own mistakes and challenges. It's a story we need to hear because yes... We do need to build places of belonging. And yes, that is very difficult and very fraught work, challenged with challenges both internal and external. And yes, it's also a project that if done on our own is prone to dangers and harms that we might inflict on our fellow human beings. And yet it still needs building. It still needs building. But perhaps taking part in the building, friends, is mostly just a matter of sharing the light. And all of God's people said, Amen.